The Athletic. Totally Football Show, European edition today. Germany, Augsburg, like Oktoberfest, giving Bayern a bitter taste. Spain, Vini Vidi Vidi in the derby as Real dance past Atleti. What's that coming over the hill? Is it a Monza as they pull off a historic win over Juventus in Serie A and red card scandals and a flock of pigeons among the many problems besetting Ligue 1. We've got all those stories and more covered in this Totally Football Show. Twentieth September. Hello, listener. Good morning to you. Got uh, James, Jules, and Alvaro here with us. Hello, boys. Hello, Hello guys. All right. Also, Raphael Honigstein is at an airport and in no way recorded separately and edited into the show. Hello, James. Okay. Wow, big weekend, Jules. You were at Brentford. Yes. And you met you met the guy who bought Wrexham, who's in Wrexham All, all or Nothing. No. Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso didn't buy Rexa. That's right. Believe. <laughs> I met Ted Lasso indeed. Uh, right. Who was a guest of Matthew Benham, who is the owner of, uh, oh, yeah? of Brentford. And they were together. Coach Baird was for the fans of the show. Coach, Coach Beard? Coach Baird. Coach Beard was there as well. Okay. Uh, Did he say much? He's, he's, yeah. So I was... What happened? I was like kind of with Mikel Arteta in a way and Jason Sudekis and Coach Beard arrived before and we said hello and they were the loveliest man. I mean, uh, Jason Sudekis. I mean, he is in character. Um, yeah, but in real life as well. Really nice as well. But in real life, it was really lovely. We talked about the game and then we were waiting for Arteta to finish one of his interviews, which he did. And then this, it was that kind of loving between Arteta and and Ted Lasso and Coach Beard, uh, each other saying to the other, I love what you do. I love what you do too. You make me love. Right. You make me love too. It was just like, wow. So they were talking Wait, about all or nothing. So everything. Arteta makes them laugh. Well, I think they really enjoyed the all or nothing documentary ah, with Arteta in it. Okay. And yeah, it was just great. It was just great to see. And they were like, they were really nice. I would love to see them incorporate some of the Arteta motivational speeches. The Yeah. It would be. I mean, kick around with the lads, whiteboard message, yeah. etc. So since yeah. I posted the photo Lassica. on social media, a lot mm. of people have responded saying like, okay, we, who influenced the other the most? Mm. Uh, that kind of stuff. So, yeah. And also, you missed out on a scoop here because surely he's there to replace Thomas Frank when Thomas Frank leaves Brentford for, for Leicester or something like that. Is that not happening? Maybe. Yeah, you say he was a I guest of the Brentford that. owner. You know, yeah. I mean, this, this is clearly what's happening here. Yeah, he looked it quite busy from what, from what he was saying in his, in his real job. But maybe he will have time, you know, to take up a Premier League club. Why not? Why not? It's the way we're heading. Super. Well, we've got much to discuss today from around the wide world of continental football. Let's begin with a quick round of Moment of the Weekend. Alvaro. Well, the Moment of the Week comes from Bilbao this time uh, because uh, the Williams brothers scored in the same game. That's something that hadn't happened for Athletic Bilbao. 
Uh, in 57 years, when the Arieta brothers both scored in the same game, they were in the score sheet together. But, uh, you know, the Guerrero brothers couldn't do this, uh, the Rojo brothers couldn't do this, and the Williams brothers have done this. I mean, they both scored beautiful goals, especially Nico Williams, the, the youngest, who has been capped by Spain, by the way. Mm. And, you know, um, it was very nice to see them both scoring in the same game in the win against Rayo Vallecano. So congratulations to them. It's a very good moment for that family. Yeah, I've got him in my fantasy team, so very happy about that. <laughs> right, different, different Nico Williams. Uh, that's lovely. And then they headed off to their respective national sides. Jules, what about you? My moment of the weekend, James, is Jean-Claire Todibo getting sent off after nine seconds. <sighs> so that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And that's it. This game was over. Just Thanks like this. Thanks for that, Jules. I mean, it, it, it was just in case you didn't know what nine seconds felt like. If you imagine in a game and that was it, gone, over. What did you think of the red card? I thought it was really harsh because I thought Dante was... They, basically, the referee said you were the last defender, you have to go. And like, you, it, it's clearly a foul, but I think there were other people, around, other players around for Nice that I'm not sure deserved... The red card for, for Porto Debo, I mean, it obviously changed the whole dynamic, even if Angers themselves got a red card after an hour, but they mm. still won the game. But we've got a, we've got a big problem with referees and, and red card. Funnily enough, because obviously, as you know, French referees are the best in the world, but 34 red cards in seven game weeks so far. It's incredible. Is it 11 players sent off in a, in a single match day? Yes, we had that uh, maybe two or three game week ago, maybe, or something yeah. like that. It's really good. I think just Spain is 21, the Premier League is four. So in the same amount of, of, match, of match days, of game weeks, the Premier League got sent off four players and, and Liga 34. I mean, I think Serie A is 15, maybe. So it's, it's just crazy. Crazy. Sounds like Todibo could do with a bit of Angers management, eh? <laughs> 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 if we were doing a Golazzo, um, yeah. I would compare this foul to uh, 1978's Juventus play Milan and it's at kickoff and Gianni Rivera is preparing to take the kickoff and just as he rolls his foot all over the ball, Marco Tardelli just <laughs> runs straight at him, two-foots him, takes him out. It's one of the most egregious kind of fouls that you'll ever see on like a top player um i'll put it on youtube when we, uh, when mm. we put this pod live because it's 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 the Serie A equivalent uh from back in the Amazing. day when men men were men uh as graham Sunes would say mm. um and when 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 Serie A was still uh graham Sunes's game so uh, so there you go yeah did he walk tardelli i can't remember i mean it's pretty bad i would i would have to replay probably it not YouTube i mean he was playing for you though we're so. doing a podcast yeah, and also, City mm. uh, in those days, you know, was was pretty damn physical. Ruvido. So, um, so yeah, mm. all right, excellent. Hey, let's get a moment of the weekend from Rafa. The moment of the weekend came when the Bayern Munich players went to Oktoberfest and had to pose with beer jugs in their hands and their partners in, in most uh, in most cases and looked about as unhappy as any Bavarian man can be with a beer jug in their hands. It came at the back of a one little defeat of Augsburg and crisis time in Munich. Ah, lovely stuff, Rafa. Hey, how about we start with the Bundesliga? This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Auf Iago, da ist die Möglichkeit, da ist das Tor! 1-0 für 
Augsburg, 59. Minute, Mergim Berischer. All right, the Bundesliga. Borussia won the Riviera Derby with Schalke. Gladbach beat Leipzig 3-0. Biggest story, though, of the weekend was Augsburg defeating Bayern Munich 1-0. That's right, a first defeat of the season for Bayern. The first time in 87 Bundesliga matches they haven't scored. It makes it now four games in a row in the league that they haven't won. That's their worst run in 20 years. Jamal Musiala wasn't born the last time they went on a run that long without a Bundesliga win. So, Rafa, who are Augsburg and who's Rafa Gikowicz? <laughs> Rafa Gikowicz is the uh, Augsburg keeper who had a fantastic game, especially when he saved a header from, yes, Manuel Neuer at the death. Uh, Neuer very nearly scored with a header in the box. That showed you the extent of Bayern's desperation that Neuer became the most likely uh, hero uh, on a day where they had wasted lots of chances in the first half, looked again a little bit sloppy, a little bit incohesive, um, just not quite clicking, not quite gelling. Mm. And as an isolated incident, you can excuse it. They had a big game against Barcelona, which they won. But of course, it's now become a pattern. As you said, four games without a win. And people are beginning to wonder, is this just a lack of attitude, this is just mine lacking a lot of concentration, a little bit of focus, or are there deeper issues, uh, both with Nagelsmann's coaching perhaps, or with the way that Bayern have put the squad together without a big number nine up front. Yeah, I note with interest that goalkeeper Manuel Neuer had more efforts on target than Sadio Mane. Mane started in all these four games. They haven't won any of them. He's taken 12 shots, They've not scored. he's not scored on any of them. Is Mane feeling the heat particularly now? He's been very poor, James. I don't think there's any way to sugarcoat this. Um, you know that Sadio Mane plays with a lot of energy, is always one of the players that seems to be infectious when it comes to the work rate and the all-action um, performance in, in the final third. But he looks like a ghost. Um, he looks like a shadow of, him, of himself. I don't know if it's a tactical problem that he's a little bit isolated there on the left side of of what is often a 4-4, sorry, a 4-2-2-2. Or my personal theory is that having had this very long season with AFCON and everything in between, that he just looks a little bit low in energy and perhaps just needs a break. He's had those moments for Liverpool before this year, this calendar year, and has always sort of find a way through it. But um, right now he looks like a man who's in desperate need of, of a bit of time off. Hmm. The absence of a number nine. Uh, there were rumours last week, Rafa, that Bayern were looking to rectify that with a certain Harry Kane of Tottenham Hotspur. Harry Kane is somebody that they, of course, admire. And there was a meeting with Kane's people, but I don't think it is seen as realistic at the moment in Munich. Um, if, for whatever reason, they would be encouraged to bid for him in the summer, they, they will definitely try that. But I don't think anyone at the moment is under any illusion that he can be a realistic target. Um, in terms of the money, I think it's going to be really, really tricky to get him out of Spurs. And I don't think they can assume that he is necessarily looking to move out of the Premier League either. So, yes, a nice name to be associated with, a nice player that you can imagine uh, wearing, and wearing red and looking very good in this spine team, but I don't see it as a realistic possibility. All right, well, for the moment... 
Bayern Munich are down in fifth place, heading for the Europa League, lols. Up top, it's Union Berlin, who are two points clear after beating Wolfsburg 2-0. Wolfsburg now in the bottom three. Uh, some lovely moments here for the win, obviously, for Union, but even more than that, the moment when the teams were announced. Yeah, Timo Baumgart is coming back uh, after testicular cancer issues. A uh, real uh, feel-good story, along with Marco Richter, who had the same problem as Hertha. So that was really nice. And to go with what has been a magical season for Union, only slightly blighted by the fact that they lost twice in the Europa League. But mm. going as strongly as they are, with a real chance of even making it into the Champions League, I think they can probably just about... Um, yeah, live live with the fact that Europa League could be going better. Union two points clear then. In second place, it is Borussia Dortmund after they beat Schalke in the Riviera derby. Schalke have just returned to the top flight. There was good news and bad news here for Borussia Dortmund. The good news being Yusufa Makoku, who became the youngest goalscorer in Riviera derby history at just 17 with the only goal of the game. The bad news seeing Marco Royce going off with a serious-looking ankle injury. Yeah, Marco Royce going off was a real shock. He looked very, very uh, much in pain, uh, clutching his ankle. His ankle has been his uh, Achilles heel. I don't know if that's orthopedically correct, but uh, in a metaphorical sense, that's been where a lot of the injuries have happened. Luckily for him, it doesn't look quite as bad uh, he will, according to Sebastian Kiel, the Borussia Dortmund sporting director, recover in time for the World Cup. But everyone was really fearing for the worst and you could see how the players and, and the Dortmund fans were affected. Uh, luckily for them, uh, Mukuko took advantage of some sloppy defending from Schalke to score a goal that was... Hard to come by, I think, for Dortmund and his team. Once again, they showed, I think, with Anthony Modest up front. Modest ain't no Erling Haaland. Um, mm. That is the main problem that they have. But they knew that. Uh, they have to find other ways. And they just about did. All right. Well, Nations League next then. Uh, games against Hungary, who are topping the group currently. Coming up on Friday. Germany currently in second place, a point behind the Magyar. And then on Monday... Germany will be facing the bottom team of the group, who are England. Ooh. <laughs> uh, ooh, indeed. I mean, last time they played at Wembley was a bit of a shambles uh, with uh, Joachim Löw's uh, swan song uh, playing out. And you remember this weird Germany with three at the back and Kimmich as a right wing back. I mean, it was a, quite messy. Um, I think this is going to be a much more settled Germany team. Yes, it will be full of Bayern players who having... Uh, hard time of late, uh, but perhaps will enjoy the change of scenery. And I think under Hansi Flick, there is a sense that this team knows what they're doing. It is a high-risk setup. They love to press high. Um, it's not always that refined, uh, tactically, but it's very effective because they enjoy playing that way and they, he has the right players. What's interesting, I think, is going to be whether Timo Werner can hold on to his place because his form has been a little bit patchy uh, since going back to Leipzig. And I think he's going to do well to hold on to his starting place. And I think Jamal Muziala might actually come to the point where he will, will be seen as an automatic starter. He did so well against England in the first game in Germany. So I think we'll, we can expect him to be there trying to make things happen at Wembley as well. 
Rafael Honigstein. Alvaro, let's talk La Liga. We had another Barcelona win. We had your friend's Athletic Club de Bilbao going third in La Liga. And we had the Madrid derby. Now, do you want to start with the stuff on the field or the stuff off it? Has to be the stuff off the field, I am afraid, because, uh, you know, this has been the nuclear thing this week in Spain. Well, indeed, and beyond Spain's borders as well, after videos of hundreds of Atletico fans outside the Civitas Metropolitano. Racist chanting, making monkey noises. One of them had a kind of monkey hand puppet, which had a Real Madrid jersey on. And most of this ire, most of this, this venom seemed to be directed at Real Madrid's Vinicius. Why has he become such a target? Well, it all started, we can say, like 10 days ago, more or less, uh, during Real Madrid-Mallorca. Uh, Vinicius uh, had a few problems with uh, the right back of Mallorca, and Javier Aguirre, the, the Mallorca manager from the touchline, uh, told Vinicius a couple of times just to take it easy, you know, uh, because uh, it's very difficult to... Um, distinguish between creativity and provocation, okay? And Vinicius, lately, uh, he's been perceived as a person who is provoking. Then, obviously, during the week, um, there was the big talk was about Real Madrid Atletico, the preview of the game. And uh, in El Chiringuito, uh, the show that we all know, uh, they invited a man called Pedro Bravo, who is the president of the Spanish Football Agents Corporation. Um, and he said that if Vinicius was going to dance uh, after scoring a goal, because he has done it in the past, he should dance in the what he calls sambodromo, uh, which let's call it like a samba club, uh, and he shouldn't do the monkey. Well, obviously, this is a Spanish expression. I have heard Stop this monkeying Spanish. around, you, you might yeah. say, but... Mm. Yeah. Uh, in, in literally in Spanish it will be, uh, as I said, but it is a Spanish expression that they have heard and they have directed that, that expression at me. I don't direct it at my boy. Uh, normally, I don't say that. Uh, I understand that this is in our language, but I think that there is no awareness by many people that you shouldn't be using that against black people because it's, it is tremendously derogatory and it is very offensive for them. So these guys say that and... Uh, I think that the problem with El Chiringuito is that in that platform, many guests, they have the feeling that they can, see, they can say whatever they want because, you know, the record is there and the, there are plenty of controversial comments in El Chiringuito. It all started there. And uh, I think that after that, it all became bigger. The snowball became bigger. They, they asked Koke ahead of the game as well uh, if Vinicius could celebrate the way he wanted and he said yes, he can. And then the reporter asked him again uh, would you understand the bad reaction from Civitas Metropolitano if Vinicius dances? And Koke said literally this. It will be a hassle. It will be a hassle. He said that. Uh, maybe he didn't want to offend anybody but the snowball became bigger in social media. Uh, the hashtag uh, Vinicius Baila or Baila Vinicius Junior, Vinicius Dance, literally, uh, became popular. Many Brazilian footballers, Neymar, Dani Alves, uh, got on board with Vinicius, supported him. And suddenly, an expectation was created for Vinicius to dance if he was going to score a goal. Well, he didn't score a goal this time, but uh, before the game, the snowball was too big. And outside the Civitas Metropolitano, we heard plenty of people, not a person, People, probably hundreds, singing, Vinicius, eres un mono. Vinicius, you are a monkey. Okay? So nobody was stopping this. We heard that. Atletico de Madrid hasn't released a statement condemning this yet. I'm still waiting. We are still waiting. So the game started. We heard in the ground as well, Vinicius Morete. Vinicius, you should die. 
Maybe there were 10 people, maybe they were 15 or two. I don't care. So La Liga, what they are going to do, they are going to raise this to the Anti-Violence Committee, which will review this, and if they find that there is an offense here and a crime here, they will raise it to the Public Prosecutor's Office. So mm. the situation is like this right now, and this is another chapter in Atletico de Madrid's bad history, because they did, or one supporter did, a Nazi salute at Manchester back in winter, because against Numancia in a friendly, another supporter did a Nazi salute, and because Hermoso, like a month ago, he was fighting with uh, someone in the stands because they were insulting him. This is not sustainable, and uh, you know uh, it was very, very uncomfortable to see all this. This particular incident and the focus on Vinicius certainly wasn't helped by those comments by Pedro Bravo and El Chiringuito. But there is a problem that goes way back beyond ten days and is much broader and, and, and particularly focused at Atletico Madrid. No, their fans. There's even been a death no of a of, yeah. a, of an opposition fan. Uh, in in recent years, uh, it it is a broader problem. It is a broader problem. Yes, um, the thing is that there is a sense of impunity over there uh, among Atletico ultras that they can do whatever they want, and um, they have uh, two dead people in the record. One, Aitor Zabaleta, in 1998, a supporter of Real Sociedad, and another one, an ultra from Deportivo de la Coruña, Jimmy. Uh, was called that happened like seven years ago roughly you know it's not nice sometimes to go uh, at Civitas Metropolitano or to be around that ground before a game starts and uh, from all the sides in Spanish football this is the only one that hasn't dealt with their ultra fan base yet uh, because Barcelona and Real Madrid did it uh, in Bilbao you can go to a football game it's perfectly perfectly safe in San Sebastián as well and many more places but when you go and watch an Atlético de Madrid game you know that there are some places where you shouldn't go or some symbols that you shouldn't show to some people because the atmosphere can get very toxic. And they have to deal with this. And I think that Enrique Cerezo, the owner of Atlético de Madrid, is one of those who should be condemning all this with a bigger strength. Because, for example, when the Nazi salute thing happened at Manchester, he said that, you know, that happened among every fan base. Well, this is not true. Atletico Madrid has a problem with this. They have to deal with this. And ultimately, and I don't want to uh, do a quick link with Simeone here, but this is even, I would say, that uh, beneficial for Atletico and uh, Simeone's tactics, because we are talking about this and we are not talking about that, how mm. Real Madrid beat Atletico comfortably, in my opinion, despite the scoreline, which was only 2-1. All right, well, let's hear about what happened. Uh, Real Madrid going two goals up. Uh, Vinicius didn't score. Rodrigo got the first. Valverde, who's uh, in exceptional form, got the second. Griezmann started for Atletico Madrid, who got a late consolation goal. What was it, about seven minutes from time? Uh, yeah, around that time. It was Mario Hermoso scoring the 1-2 the in the 83rd minute for mm -hmm. Atletico de Madrid. Uh, but yeah, Real Madrid dominated. It was one-sided, I would say. Real Madrid uh, went to the halftime, leading by 2-0 already. And um, the thing with Real Madrid is that not only they have won every game this season, as far as I can recall, uh, they beat Leipzig in the Champions League. Not being too convincing, but they beat him. They beat them. But also, they know what they are doing, the confidence they are showing. And there is more than only just character, because I think that what they did in the Champions League last season, um, the, the main narrative uh, line was about their character and how they managed to trigger remontadas. But the quality they've got is very remarkable as well. The goal of the season for me last year, or the combination of the season, was the one between Modric and Rodrigo against Chelsea. Well, to a many, 
the French guy and Rodrigo created a very similar connection in this game against Atletico de Madrid. And maybe only Barcelona in La Liga can create a goal from nothing like that. And the Chuameni and Rodrigo, they created a beautiful goal. And then Fede Valverde is in the form of his life. I mean, the amount of runs he did to escape the pressure, not only vertical runs, but also horizontal runs, because he's so fast, so powerful, he can do it. You know, it's a very good moment for Real Madrid, definitely. But the only caveat, I would say that Courtois has shown that he's human too. Because mm. the other day, in Hermoso's goal, he made a little bit of a mistake, yes, because he didn't punch the ball well. So, you know, if there is anything slightly concerning for Real Madrid, it has to be that. But I think that uh, every person can make a mistake, of course. Of course, nine wins out of nine in all competitions. What's most impressive for many people, the fact that since Karim Benzema got injured against Celtic, Real Madrid have barely skipped a beat, scoring 11 goals in, what, three and a half matches since then. All right, well, elsewhere, they, as they remain top of the table, Barcelona in second place. They were 3 0 winners of Elche. Uh, Barcelona with the highest XG of the season so far in that game of 4.3. Elche with the lowest XG in a Liga match this season. Do you know what it was? <laughs> zero. Zero yeah. XG. And Athletic Bilbao are third, Alvaro. Uh, what, yeah. what a game this was against Rayo Vallecano. Lovely, beautiful. Rayo Vallecano always uh, creates trouble uh, to us. And last season they beat us at uh, San Mamés, uh, but this season they, they couldn't, fortunately. Uh, even though Rayo's uh, performance was very commendable. But uh, you know, I think that Athletic Club Bilbao deserve every point they have. They really do. I mean, and they should have gotten at least one point against Espanol and definitely three points against Mallorca. And in those games they couldn't get the three points. But generally speaking, uh, the team is very vibrant. Many players are going forward. I have the feeling that uh, there are some forwards that they have the urgency to score as well. Something that last season I didn't see that much. Berenguer is probably the best example. He's playing fantastically. Ojan Sanzet, this is his fourth season in La Liga, still Spanish under 21. He's playing really good football. Munia in between the lines is excellent. The defense is going to adjust uh, when Inigo Martinez gets back uh, to complete fitness. And I would like to single out uh, Nico Williams, the small or the youngest of the, Nico, of the Williams brothers, because I think that he uh, gathers together the best skills of the wingers that Athletic has had over the, le the last 20 or 25 years. He has the, uh, the youth and the precocity of Echeverria, a player that we signed from Real Sociedad when he was 17, very fast, Spanish international. He has the creativity of Santi Ezquerro, a player who was capable of uh, doing very, very nice dribblings, and also he has the scoring ability of his brother Iñaki. So he's like a complete pack, really. And uh, I'm very excited about this guy. He has been capped by Luis Enrique. I don't know whether he's going to go to the World Cup because there are many absences in the Spanish squad, but this is a player to follow up, really, because... It's fun to watch. He does many stepovers. He does many tricks. And, you know, we haven't had a player like this in Bilbao for a long time. And I think that his technique is more Polish than his brother Iñaki's as well. Because he has been an academy product for more years than Iñaki Williams. Therefore, he has worked with better coaches. And uh, Nico Williams is looking very good. His first goal the other day was sensational. Just controlling the ball. Very difficult control. And putting it in the net. Mm. He's eight years younger than Inaki. He's uh, with Spain rather than Ghana, like his brother Spain have. Switzerland and Portugal coming up in the Nations League. Athletic Bilbao, can they can they sustain a top four challenge? I think they 
can sustain a European challenge. Uh, okay. Europa League will be realistic. Champions League, well, they have done it with Valverde. And that's for sure. They have done it with Valverde. We still have to um, see how Ander Herrera uh, settles down because the other day he finally played some minutes. But uh, if Sevilla and Atlético de Madrid are giving us so many chances to the rest, maybe there is a chance, yes. But Villarreal and Betis are looking very strong as well. I think mm. the fourth spot... Maybe for Villarreal this season. I have that feeling, but I really think that Athletic has a chance of qualifying for Europe, yes. All right, excellent. Next up, let's hear about the goings-on in Italia. Hello, I'm Adam Hurry, host of Football Clichés, a truly unique podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Twice a week, my guests and I tear apart the language of football, the words, the phrases, the mannerisms and the weird habits of everyone involved in the game. This 200-episode voyage into the true soul of football has so far raised such vital questions as what exactly is a half-chance? How do you get hired as a pundit on B in sports? Why do we still applaud a simple header back to a goalkeeper? What exactly is included in a footballer's proverbial scrapbook? What happened to stanchions? How many goals ahead do the underdogs need to be to constitute dreamland? And what's the classiest of all the classy touches? And we won't be hanging up our microphones for the World Cup either. Football cliches will be going strong throughout the tournament, and we're still looking for the third and final piece of original punditry audio from the intro to Badil and Skinner's Three Lions. And if that wasn't enough, come and see us in the flesh on the Football Clichés live tour of London, Manchester and Dublin in November. It'll be the most pedantic footballing night of your lives. Football Clichés, the football podcast you never thought you needed. Out twice a week, wherever you get your podcasts from The Athletic. This is the Totally Football Show, part of The Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. What's this? Milan, Inter, Roma and Juventus all beaten on the same day for the first time since 13th of February 1955, before many of us were born. Mm. Inter got done by the remarkable Udinese 3-1. Udinese duly went top. Not for long, though, because Atalanta then beat Roma to take over first place after Roma had squandered a bunch of chances, with Dybala getting injured in the warm-up, with Jose sent off for his anti-ref aggro. And then in the evening... Napoli took over top spot from Atalanta after beating Milan in a huge game at San Siro. As for Juventus, they managed to lose 1-0 against the bottom team in the league. Previously winless Monza. James. Quite the weekend. Yeah. <laughs> What a result for them and their new manager in his first senior game. But was it the new manager or was it Silvio Berlusconi, James? <laughs> because Silvio has taken all the credit. Um, he said that uh, the reason he sacked Giovanni Stroppa just days after uh, Berlusconi's right-hand man, Galliani, said, no, Stroppa's safe. Uh, but Berlusconi sacked him anyway because Stroppa wasn't following his tactical instructions. Um, we all know that Berlusconi... Uh, coached Edil Nord or his company team um, to many league titles uh, in the kind of local Milan leagues um, and so has always felt that his opinion is an opinion that should be heard 
yeah, he recommended Stropper change formation. This is what Palladino did. Palladino, who was promoted from the under-19s, as you mentioned, youngest coach in the league, 38, had never coached in senior football before at any level. Um, a disciple of Gasparini, uh, you know, someone who played under Gasparini at Genoa and then played under Gasparini's kind of leading disciple, um, Ivan Juric at Cotone. And I think what was surprising watching the game was how much Monza dominated the ball, uh, how the how much they played in Juventus's half, how even before Angel Di Maria's red card, they were on top and deserved to win. Um, became the first team to beat uh, Juventus or secure their first ever top flight win against Juventus since Catanzaro back in the early 70s, um, I think. Um, and of course, you know, because Berlusconi said we need to change formation, we need to we need the goalkeeper to go go long, we need our centre backs to man mark. It all worked. So um, Berlusconi, who the league has tried to fine uh, in the last days for comments he made about the referee a few weeks ago, um, he called the referee whose nickname is Di Bello. He called him Di Bruto. Damn. So you know, so yeah, Di Bello is good, uh, handsome. Yeah. Uh, Di Bruto is bad, ugly. Yeah, um, I think so, Sergio Leone fans they, all over this. Yeah, but they they can't find Berlusconi, James, because he's he does ha he has no official role. Does he not? Monza. He's not president. Right. He's not honorary president. That's his brother. Right. Um. So he's got away with it. Damn. All right. Juventus won three 0 back in mid August on the opening day of the season. They have not won a game since then. Seven matches without a victory. And of course, just last midweek in the Champions League came the crucial game at home to Benfica that Max Allegri had previously flagged up and they went and lost it 3-1. They surrendered at home after taking the lead in that match in the Champions League. They are lying third, six points off the two teams in front of them, Benfica and Paris Saint-Germain. Meanwhile, in Serie A, they're four points off the top four. It is a pretty disastrous scenario. It is. Um it's no more disastrous than it was last season, I suppose. But the expectation last season was it, it became different uh, very quickly um, because certainly when Allegri came back, that was enough for people to say Juventus are back, that they are going to win the league. And then for the first time, they didn't do this with Sarri. They didn't do it with Pirlo. The club basically said it's a transition year. And so the question is, what have they transitioned towards? And, you know, Allegri, <laughs> Allegri said... Uh, the Scudetto is our objective in pre-season, um, but now I think they they take top four. Um, and yeah, there are some comparisons with Allegri's second season from his first spell, where they uh, they were hopeless until the end of October, beginning of November, and they were in more trouble than they are in now. They were, I think, 14th. And they lost to Sassuolo in midweek, and the, the team you know, went into Retiro. So they were told, basically, you're not going home. You have to stay in a hotel and sort yourselves out. And they didn't sack Allegri then. And the team went on this long, I can't remember, 18 game, something like that, unbeaten run where Buffon set the new record for minutes without conceding. They won the league. It was really spectacular. But yeah, this was the example people said was going to happen last year. Um, and it didn't happen. Um, so... I don't really see why you can point to it this year and say it's going to happen. 
Um, also because that Juventus had still a really good, strong core group of players and uh, yeah, players who cared about the club. And I think what's been striking, uh, particularly in, in the second half against Benfica and throughout that Monza game is the players, there's been no response. There's been no reaction from them. Um, You're missing Giorgione there. Yeah, missing Giorgione. I even think, you know, players like uh, Paolo Dybala, players like Alvaro Morata, they really cared about the club. Um, and, you know, you saw that when Dybala was in tears in his last game. Uh, it's unfortunate that Dybala suffered an injury in the warm-up uh, for Roma against Atalanta. Because up until that point, you, you would point to Dybala and say, he's the guy who wins you games against Sampdoria, Salernitana, against Monza. And they let him go. And he's been brilliant for Roma. He's arguably been one of the best players in the league. Um, and yeah, the injuries that I, I think were one of the reasons why they didn't renew his contract. It, you know, ultimately it happened. It happened finally on 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 Sunday. But yeah, those were players who 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 won games like this and and and, and really wanted to be at the club. And and now you know they've been placed by Di Maria, replaced by someone like Di Maria, who had a great debut, but also got injured on his debut. Has been kind of part time ever since. Comes on in the Benfica game, almost gets them back into it, but doesn't. He's then seen on the sidelines asking Arcadius Milik, Juventus' striker, why Allegri took him off. And then at a time when they don't have Pogba, they don't have Chiesa, and they really need Di Maria to give their attack a spark, he gets sent off in the first half and will be unavailable for their next few games. Well, we'll see when the disciplinary rap sheet comes out today how, how, how long he's out for. Uh, and there's a feeling that he's just on loan from Argentina, that he's not a Juventus player. He's basically there and uh, and his focus is going to be the World Cup. Um, and, you know, that again is 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 quite unsettling. But, you know, at the moment it looks like they're going to keep the faith with, with Allegri. Um, there's been some reports in Gazette de la Sport on Tuesday morning about Paolo Montero, <laughs> who is the uh, Juventus under-23 manager. Andrea Agnelli's favourite player from his childhood. Um, the enforcer who used to basically protect Zidane. If anyone ever went near Zidane, Montero would uh, get, get in your way and, and uh, yeah, act as his bodyguard. But at the moment, uh, it's, it's, um, it's the status quo. It's, it's Allegri. Mm. All right. Well done to Monza. Benfica, by the way. Just to put... Losing at home to them in some contexts, everybody loses to Benfica this season. They've won 13 games out of 13. They beat Maricimo 5-0 in the Liga Noche at the weekend to maintain their advantage at the top of the Portuguese top flight. And their next two games in the Champions League are going to be very interesting. Back-to-back against Paris Saint-Germain. Do you know what's the record of Benfica? Their best ever to start. 15 games, Ooh. 15 straight wins. Uh, and do you know who was the manager of Benfica when they achieved that? Sven Goran Eriksson in the 80s. No. Yep. Ooh, Sven is. Excellent. What else then? We had Atalanta winning at Roma. Tammy Abraham fluffing his lines in that one. We had Udinese. <laughs> yeah. Udinese with, with their... Uh, with their latest victory, what's that, four in a row? Five in a row now? They've equaled their best ever start in Serie A and uh, Andrea Sotil. And we had Sunday night, that huge game at San Siro, Napoli beating Milan 
2-1, ending Milan's 22-match unbeaten run in the league. It's great to see Udinese doing what Udinese used to do, um, which is um, be Atalanta before Atalanta became the club that scouted really well and punched above their weight. Um, so let's see if they can sustain this. Um, you know, we've, we've talked about the pressure on Allegri. There's also pressure on Simone Inzaghi um, at Inter, um, which has kind of been eclipsed by all of the, the melodrama at, uh, at Juventus. Mm. Inter, who were and, beaten 3-1 by Udinese this weekend. Yeah, Tammy uh, is, 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 is having quite a, uh, a challenging start to the season. Um, it was quite funny. Uh, I think there was a viral clip of uh, his teammate Andrea Bellotti giving him a little encouraging slap around the face to kind of wake him up. <laughs> and then you had the big game on, on Sunday night, which uh, felt very balanced, very tactical in the first half and was a really fun second half between, I think, the two the two best teams in Italy, you know, the champions of Italy and, and, and the best of the season so far in, in Napoli. And I think both, you know, as much as Milan will be disappointed to have uh, suffered their first defeat um, of the season and their first at San Siro since, uh, since what, January, um, I think they can leave satisfied. They played really well. They outcreated Napoli, if you look at the XG. Um, they had chances at 1-1 to make it 2-1. Uh, you know, be either through Macias or or through Kalulu, who hit the bar, and uh, and yeah, just great to see Simeone uh, then pop up whilst Milan's on top, glancing ahead to score the winner. And uh, you know, James and I did this game on BT Sport on Sunday night, and uh, we had a sideline reporter, Adriana Del Monte, there, and he spoke to Giovanni Simeone after after the game, and it immediately reminded. Uh, as both of uh, Alexander Lacassette's interview, uh, Jules. <laughs> it felt like another player had inhaled helium. <laughs> in by, the way, by the way, on that note, Jules, I don't know if you want to offer any apologies for your harsh words on uh, Alexander, uh, Alexander Lacassette because it um, turns out he's had to have is it nodules removed from his larynx. Yeah, it was mm. still funny. Okay then. I mean, right. not him. He's not, Fair he, he wouldn't be surprised if he hears the show. So yeah, would he not? It's okay. bad on him, but he was still fun. Okay, good. Napoli top of the table then, but level on points with Atalanta. Udinese third, only a point behind. And then you got Lazio just ahead of Milan in full spot on goal difference, with Roma and Inter, and then Juventus down in eighth place, seven points off the top of the table, four off the top four. Hmm. Right. Into Roma coming up after the international break as well, so that'll wow. be Oof. exciting. Yeah, and uh, Italy, England coming up during the international break as well. Woof! When's that? That's is that Friday? Friday, yeah. 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 All right. Well, maybe we'll talk about that if you've got a moment to do so in Thursday's Totally Football Show, which will be all about the international break. We're looking forward to that. Next up on this show, let's head over to France. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. 
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Liga, everybody. My favourite bit of the show. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain won this weekend. Woohoo! Uh, all right. Marseille only drew Jules against Rennes. Ooh, they've had a rough week, haven't they? In this game, uh, Guendouzi scoring at both ends. Tell us about the match. Tell us about the flock of pigeons, which saw the match suspended for five minutes at the, at the velodrome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not really sure where they came from. I'd never seen anything like, like this before in that stadium. You know, there's, there's stadium near the sea, for example, where the seagulls come. Even in England, you've got that too. But, but that, n- never seen anything before. Maybe... maybe Maybe it's a bit, it's a good summary of the the atmosphere around the club. They were very right. disappointed by the defeat in Europe, as you say, midweek Les at Mouettes. the Velodrome against Frankfurt. Les Mouettes, yeah. Mm. Um, and then this was not great. I mean, I think the draw is fair, and in this uh, Gendouzi derby, but um, but there was not there was not enough from Marseille that you would expect from from the home side, really. So right. it was a bit disappointing, and I think this break comes at the right time for Tudor to kind of like. Regroup. It will have a few players still there to work with. A lot of them would have gone on international duty, but I think it would be good because they looked a bit jaded and they looked like they, they were not really sure what the solutions was in the game, both against Rennes and against uh, Frankfurt as well. So this this break comes at a really good time for them. Right. As I said Mouet. That's seagulls, of course. A flock of seagulls yeah. disrupting the um, the match. That would be funny if they came on with their keyboards and their Buffon hairdo. <laughs> Anyway, but I'm curious though, how did the birds disrupt the match? Did they all descend on the on on the pitch yeah, and on, yeah? Or did they, they attack just the players the with sta- their beaks? Yeah, around the stadium. No, they didn't. But you know, it's just not a. You can't really play if something could obstruct the ball or obstruct anything or just just disturb the atmosphere and the the whole dynamic. So again, you've seen you've seen scenes like that before, but maybe not in so many numbers. And certainly not in Mar- I don't remember in Marseille seeing anything like this before. Okay. Rough week for Marseille. Rough week as well for Nice defender Jean-Claude Todibo, as you were saying, uh, as they went down 1-0 at home to Angers. It's been a really disappointing season for Nice. Uh, Certainly not what they were expecting. And I noticed as well that uh, Kasper Schmeichel has been dropped as their keeper. Yeah, and rightly so, because he'd been dreadful before. So, I mean, all Kasper Schmeichel (laughs) that he is... I mean, Bulka is a really good young keeper who's always done well when he played, including in Europe already this season. 
So I think that was right from Favre to, to drop Schmeichel and, and, and to give Burka a chance. They still lost the game, but at least we didn't see some of the mistakes that we saw Schmeichel making before when he was playing. I mean, the, the big news, we, we talked about Todibo being sent off after nine seconds. I don't know how you can win a game when you're down to, to 10 men for 89 minutes and 51 seconds. Um, the big news is that I think five would be sacked. It's clearly not working. They, they, they're not improving. I remember seeing them against Circle Bruges back in July in their first friendly of, this, of, this, of the preseason, and they were already bad, and they're still bad. There just hasn't been any improvement between July and, and end of September. I think they're going nowhere with Favre. It's sad because we all like him and, you know, he's that kind of teacher of football and, yeah, great. But he has been pretty bad for many years now. And Mauricio Pochettino is the guy who they want to replace him. So there could be a, there's a meeting, I think, scheduled or could be scheduled very soon between Pochettino and Sir Jim Ratcliffe and people at the club to present him the project and, and, and hoping that he will be convinced. I think a lot of money would help. Uh, but it's not a bad project. It's just that right now, just nothing going their way. And again, the recruitment in the summer was, was pretty bad as well. I mean, Schmeichel, I mean, Joe Bryan for me sums it all up. That's the Joe Bryan for Fulham, in case you were wondering. That ends up at Nice. I mean, it's just beyond me how you can sign some of the players. But they signed Aaron Ramsey, Jules. They yeah, OK. Ramsey. It's only because he's Welsh that I love him. But I'm not really sure in terms of, you know, even mid-term planning and project that he's the answer. I mean, Cash for Schmeichel is even worse. Let's not go over Ross Barkley. I mean, we made we joked about it, I think, last week or the week before. You know, what about Jack Rodwell and all the others, Emanuela de Bayor? But, like, <laughs> there's a point where surely Favre or Pochettino or Guardiola or Zidane, with those kind of recruit, that kind of recruitment, I'm not sure what the manager can do anyway. But let's see if Pochettino can do a better job if it's him taking over. Nice currently lying 13th in Liga. They are three points off the relegation zone and a whopping 14 behind leaders Paris Saint-Germain. PSG, who now have a two-point lead of them, I must say. PSG, who were 1-0 winners away at Lyon in the big Sunday night match. Lionel Messi, with the only goal of the game after five minutes, set up by his BFF, Neymar. Yeah, James, it was, it was really good from PSG. I think that the score doesn't really reflect... The domination that they had on this game, I mean, for example, l'équipe in, in their ratings gave Anthony Lopez, the Lyon goalkeeper, 9 out of 10. That's, that's how good he was in the game. He saved literally everything. There's a free kick by Messi in the last minute of the game that goes straight to the top corner and he saves that. They could easily have, have, they could have scored one. I think they had enough. They, they created enough. Lacazette has a good header that went wide, for example, but they should have considered three or four. And again, the score should have been 3-1 or 4-1. So... Good from PSG, even if maybe the lack of efficiency in front of goals could be a, a bit of a problem. Mbappe had an average game. Uh, and again, there's a few moments where he didn't pass the ball to a teammate when he should have, whether that was Hakimi or Messi or Neymar, which could start to be a problem, maybe. But they look great. And, and Messi was outstanding through the whole game. And so was Neymar, who it was his 100th league game. And this is another assist, 44 assists, 77 goals. The ratio is incredible. And like we said before, he looked, he looked happy again. So tough time for Lyon, three defeats in a row in the league now. Peter Bosch said, uh, we asked him, how are you gonna, what are you going to do now in the international break after three defeats in a row? He said, I'm going to drink a lot of alcohol. <laughs> Not really sure that's the answer, Peter. 
you're not a very good coach, but I'm not sure you should like um, what you say draw your sorrow in in the booze. Drown your sorrow. Drown your sorrow, yeah. Drown your sorrow in the booze. But hey, if you've got nothing else, you know, mm. maybe. Well, the attention will now focus to Didier Deschamps' French national side, who are bottom of their group, Jules. Crikey, yeah. and facing must-win games at home to Austria. That's Thursday. And then Sunday, away at Denmark. Any particular exciting news we should know about the, the, those games? Yeah, James. Uh, we had a Kylian Mbappé special on the first day of the team getting together at Clafontaine on Monday when he uh, announced that he was not going to go on Tuesday in the, uh, in the sponsor photo shoot. He refused to go. This is a problem, remember, that we had back in March where Kylian said, listen, the whole agreement of an image right for the national team is wrong. I, I don't want to see uh, my name and my image associated to some of the, uh, the sponsors of the national team. Uh, and certainly this is something that we should review. So the federation went all in panic saying like, yeah, 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 uh, let's have a meeting. So they met with his mum and his lawyer and they said, yeah, we, we're going to do something. But they didn't do anything. So Kylian went to Clairefontaine on Monday and said, nothing has changed. So I'm not doing anything. So big revolution, big panic again, big meeting with Lloris, Varane, Mbappé, Noel Legret, who is the head of the French FA, Didier Deschamps as well, who usually doesn't take part in those meetings, but because of the emergency and the, and the importance of it, this one was there. And per miracle, uh, the French Federation said, OK, OK, we're going to change everything. We're going to review everything. Kylian, please do the, uh, the sponsor photo shoot on Tuesday, which he will do now. Uh, on the back of this, so I mean, uh, he's he's almost a politician now, as as well as a as a footballer. But in a way, I think it's a good thing because I think and and I think now there's a lot of other other big players, big name players in other national teams who are going to look at it and say, "Hang on, why do I I need to put myself with McDonald's or with uh, with a betting company just because this is a contract that my national team has signed with them? It's got mm. nothing to do with me," which I get it. But then I guess, which is already the case in France, the debate is, is that really Killian's role right now to, to act like that? I don't know. I kind of like it, but I can see why the debate is on. Jules becoming more and more anti-Mbappe. What know, do you mean? I just said I'm happy with He needs to start passing the ball. He needs to start passing the ball. You know, nah, this stuff with the, the national team. I think he's Jules senses boy. a problem here. Jules nah, is consciously uncoupling, for, ready for the Real Madrid move in. He's, he's, yeah, he's, he's going boy. back to Giroud. That's what he's doing. He's going back to Giroud. Uh, no, he'll say he's boy. never left Giroud. He, but I never left know, him. You know. I never left him. I've never left yeah. him. I have mm. to be political myself too, you know. Be. All right. <laughs> and this obviously gems on the back of all the scandals in French football. Matthias Pogba is in jail right now for trying yes. to extort money of his brother. Remember the Kira Amrawi attack, the PSG yes. player? Well, her teammate, Aminata Diallo, is also in jail because she was, she was the one behind the attack uh, to, because she wanted to play and she, she didn't want Amrawi But that's not the play. person who they arrested straight afterwards. That's another teammate. No, it's the same one. Oh, it's the same one because they, yeah. they arrested her and then there was a lot of talk yeah. of it being racially profiled exactly. and that it wasn't her at all. But it turns no. out that they are now back on her as the... Yeah. Oh, I remember right. when they arrested it the first time, she said, it's not me. Yeah. You should look into the Abidal family because she right. was having yeah. sex with Abidal while yes. he was still married. <laughs> yes. So that story that was quite secret, we knew about it, but no one had written it. Then it became knew. public, yeah. which meant that the Abidal, obviously, the couple exploded and they, they're getting divorced. Right. But poor Abidal, this was yeah. nothing on him. 
I mean, you know, apart from the extramarital affair. But oh, okay. so it's crazy. And also the head of the French uh, Federation uh, being accused in, in reports in, in uh, media in France to have done a lot of not very good things. So, yeah, this well, is there's not also a good the, time for French it, 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 You're referring to the, um, the Federation, basically, the, the allegations that they've suppressed 40 yeah. years worth of sexual abuse, blackmail and yeah. harassment towards underage players, which is yeah. uh, both uh, male and female players, which has been uncovered by a uh, an investigative reporter called uh, Romain Molina, is that right? Yeah, Romain, but also it's been you know written in, in other media before, but yeah, okay. Romain for Josimar, the uh, Scandinavian media. Okay. Uh, very interesting piece. So it's not it's not a good time for French football at all. Crikey. Paul Pogba, meanwhile, placed under police protection in Italy in connection with that extortion case I imagine James I imagine that's why they've gone for police protection there unless it's some Graham Sunesco's room his mother as well his mother as well Mm. this opens up a a chance in a way I mean the fact that Pogba is not there for also he's injured but you know it's not his best moment Um, N'Golo Kante is not there right Jules so I think Chouameni and Kamavinga they really have a chance here to to make themselves important in the national side. Terrible backup options. It must uh, Deschamps <laughs> must be thinking, what do Ridiculous. I do here? How can you win Ridiculous. the World Cup? Yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, <laughs> he's going to resign the Sams. But before they even get to the World Cup, <laughs> they, they could get relegated from from level A or whatever Whoa, it's called of, behave. Yeah, of, the, uh, of the Nations League. They're two points behind third place Austria. That is their priority, James. World yep. Cup, forget about it. If we get relegated from the Nations League, it doesn't matter what we do in the World Cup. It doesn't matter. We'll have that humiliation, <laughs> that stain on our conscience for years that we were relegated from the first group in the Nations League. Absolutely, so, absolutely. Yeah. Italy, for example, who cares about the World Cup? We can win the Nations League. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Exactly. <laughs> different priorities for different people. Yeah, yeah. All right, then. Italy know the future. They've already won the World Cup enough. It's yeah, about the Nations League yeah. now. Nations League exactly, thing. Yeah. That's, uh, that's yeah. an itch I want to scratch. Excellent. All right. Well, uh, that takes us to the end of today's Totally Football Show. We will be talking about Nations League and all that kind of thing in Thursday's Totally Show. So look out for that one, listener. In the meantime, many thanks for joining us today. And many thanks as well to producer Charlie, Raphael Honigstein... Alvaro Romeo, Julian Laron, and James Horncastle. Have yourselves a great week, and we'll catch up with you soon. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Athletic.